What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golliver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line, on the front lines of the coronavirus epidemic by Michael Pina of SB Nation. Now, Michael, since we last talked last week, a lot has happened in the NBA with regard to the coronavirus response. And frankly, a lot has happened in the United States at large uh, with regard to the coronavirus response. Let's get through uh, just kind of the most important points here as quickly as possible. And then we've got some great emails from the Open Floor Globe all around the globe uh, who sent in, you know, weighing in on that subject and a whole bunch of other stuff too. So first things first, Adam Silver on Thursday announced a 30-day hiatus, which would have basically carried the NBA with no games until April 11th. Uh, But late Sunday, Uh, The CDC, Centers for Disease Control, recommended that all large gatherings of 50 people or more, which would obviously apply to NBA games, and it did specify uh, sporting events uh, under this guideline, uh, should be halted, canceled, or postponed for eight weeks. So that effectively extended the NBA's hiatus until May 15th, which is more than a month after the normal uh, regular season uh, end date would be concluded, uh, and it's well into what the normal playoff schedule would be. Uh, now, in response to that, the NBA put out a memo that said, hey, all players who are with their teams are now free to basically go wherever they want if they need to travel to get back to family, if they want to go to where they would spend the off season, or whatever it might be, they're now free to do that. They're not stuck in their home markets. Um, that to me is an indication that they don't necessarily expect to resume the regular season with all 30 teams um, uh, anytime soon. Now, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported the NBA is kind of bracing for a potential uh, three-month delay here, just kind of hoping now in a new best-case scenario that they would be able to pick up games in June and potentially, uh, you know, play some sort of a playoff format or or pick up the schedule at that point with no fans in attendance. Obviously, that is contingent upon the development of the coronavirus. Uh, And then also speaking with some executives over this weekend, Michael, they told me that they basically now are acting under the assumption that this regular season will be canceled, that the draft combine will be severely compromised. In other words, it's not going to be this big event where players go and work out. Uh, and that uh, the play- the playoffs are, quote, in jeopardy at this point. So we've rapidly moved towards uh, what I would say uh, is obviously the worst case scenario where this season gets canceled. And this is just a few days after Adam Silver had sent a letter to fans and, and done an interview on TNT expressing a desire to, uh, you know, pick up games as soon as, as possible. So, Michael, as all this news was swirling over the weekend and you were trying to wrap your mind around it, uh, what were your major takeaways or or which of that, uh, you know, chronology sticks out to you most? Yeah, I mean, my primary takeaway is that all of this is just really sad. And I, I never really thought that the 30 days was a realistic delay. Um, you know, what the CDC, CDC said, as you mentioned, with 60 days of no gatherings of 50 or more people. Um, So that's like the bare minimum, but that's also just incredibly optimistic when talking about playing professional basketball games. And I mean, I I think that the regular season is, it, it just does not seem possible to resume or even like logical at this point. You know, there's, it just, it doesn't make sense to play those games given the timeline here and, and trying to worry about the next season and seasons beyond this one, because that's really what you should be focusing on at this point, in my opinion. 
So uh, you factor all that in, and I, I would really, you know, I obviously would love to see the playoffs happen, uh, and I think that June is probably the most realistic or possible start date for something like that, which is, again, just really difficult to wrap your mind around and how they're going to fit everything in and who's going to compete if they do compete or whether or not they'll just cancel everything and just kind of swallow it and deal with the fallout after that financial and then just the repercussions of the reputation of the league and just what happens to the players um in terms of you know like everyone wants to see these these storylines carry out and obviously that just takes such a back seat right now so it's just all very it's difficult to kind of wrap your head around and wrap your arms around and i think that one of the more uh, difficult things to even process for me was the, the the note in the memo about how teams would potentially be playing in practice facilities. Um, you know, G League stadiums have, have been an option, and it really makes no sense, obviously, if you're going to play these games, let's say in the playoffs, you're not going to play a, a game in Barclays Center um, with just no fans there. That doesn't make any sense. So you would have uh, the games played at the practice facility, and even then, that just... I mean, it just has me thinking about like when we would watch the Orlando Summer League and you just hear the squeaks <laughs> of the sneakers. And it's like, I, can you imagine watching a playoff game or the NBA Finals where the the room is just silent and the optics of that, I, I just feel like that would do a disservice to the stakes. And I just, I don't know. Michael, I don't know what can the I tell is. you. Can I tell you how dark it's gotten in my own mind? I've already taken the next step and wondered if we could CGI in the fans so that like <laughs> <laughs> there is like a crowd cheering when they do hand out the trophy in a practice facility. No, look, here's the thing. There are no good options. And I'm right there with Adam Silver in terms of like, let's cling to hope of salvaging whatever the new best case scenario would be. And I think it was very telling, and it, it shows exactly how fast this coronavirus crisis has unfolded here in the United States, that within a matter of days, the best case scenario that Adam Silver laid out on television, one that he weighed carefully and obviously chose every single word, got completely nuked by the federal government, the CDC, within basically three days, right? They're saying like, no, uh, that one month uh, plan or the six week plan that you had mentioned, that's not happening, it's two months. And let me say this, my main takeaway from that whole uh, unfolding series of events was relief. Because once the NBA finally uh, shut down the season uh, in terms of suspending it, that meant for me personally that I didn't have to go to a Lakers-Rockets game on Thursday. And I felt a severe uh, burden or responsibility to go to that game if it was taking place. And by suspending the season, the NBA kind of saved me from myself, right? And maybe I wouldn't have gone. It's possible that I wouldn't have gone because I was entering not panic mode, but, you know, serious concern mode by that point. Um, but the idea that there was going to be an option was leaving me weighing that option. And I actually think that ultimately, like a lot of the owners were hoping that there would sort of be federal government or local government intervention here to almost save them from themselves here in terms of, you know, the obvious financial incentive of selling tickets and bringing people to games. And that's essentially what the CDC memo did, right? They they took away any notion of, hey, guys can just sit around for a month and chill, and then we're going to ramp this thing right back up. And they completely reframed the conversation to like, no, this is where it really needs to be. This is a long-term, big-time problem. You guys all need to chill. 
and you know the dreams of oh we're just going to be able to kind of pick this up without skipping a beat are going to go out the window now um, let me ask you this michael i i have proposed i think to you the idea of an abbreviated playoff single site maybe you do use a practice facility gym no fans in attendance just so that you can crown a champion and call it good but have you reached the point where you're thinking maybe that's not even worth it? Like, should the NBA even bother with trying to salvage the playoffs? Or should it be focusing its efforts and, uh, you know, uh, mental, uh, you know, know, mental planning and everything else on just trying to make sure that next season is impacted as little as possible? Have you given up hope, I guess is what I'm asking? Uh, have I given up hope? I will say outside of just basketball, um, you know, even just looking out the window of my apartment or going on walks over the weekend, the fact that so many people in New York City were out and about, that made me give up hope a little bit, but that is neither here nor there with this direct conversation. But Can I I actually stop you real quick, Michael? I forgot to even ask you the most important question, and I apologize for taking this long. How are you feeling? Are you uh, showing any symptoms? Please give an update for our listeners. Uh, No, I feel great. Um, Thank you for asking. And yeah, um, physically, uh, mentally, super, uh, as can be. Um, I, I was watching Donovan Mitchell's uh, interview this morning on Good Morning America, where you know Donovan has tested positive for coronavirus and said that he could play in a seven-game series tomorrow, and uh, like has felt nothing. And he tested positive, what, like five days ago? So that's really scary. And it it just kind of speaks to um, how easy it is to spread this disease because people just don't know. Like, I could have it, and I I would never know. Um, And so that's why you got to stay home. And I really wish people will stay home. And uh, I I do think that, you know, Rudy Gobert's positive test – uh, he drew so much awareness to this issue. And so for that, it, I think, uh, you know, I'm personally thankful. I think a lot of people should be, uh, you know, friend of the pod, Adam Himmelsbach, who covers the Celtics for the Boston Globe, tweeted out a couple of days ago that, that Rudy Gobert's positive test might be one of the most important events of this generation. And I do not think that that is hyperbole. I mean, the cascading effect of that positive test to let other organizations, you know, the NCAA would not have canceled March Madness if it wasn't for that positive test. The NHL would not have postponed its season. Um, you know, we wouldn't have, uh, I don't think, you know, restaurants and bars closing down because people would not be taking it as seriously as they would have if after that initial test, positive test. So that's, I guess, a good sign and a step in the right direction. But I mean, I just, I don't know. I mean, all of this is so like day to day. Like, as I said in the last episode, um, we went from LeBron James laughing about not being, not not willing to play in front of uh, uh, stands with empty empty arenas to like three days later, the, the, the whole season is postponed to three days later in New York City. Uh, all restaurants and all bars are closed, like forcibly closed, and uh, schools are closed. And like, where are we going to be in three three days from now? It's it's just such a it's 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 so volatile, so volatile. No, I hear you, and I think that you know some of that relief that I was mentioning earlier is coming from this idea that we are getting government action in a lot of places, right? Shutting down some schools, shutting down 
restaurants and bars. I mean, to me, those are necessary steps. And I think even as early as uh, Sunday morning, I was thinking, well, that could take a couple of weeks to play out. And the fact that it's already, that ball is starting to roll already, uh, to me, is a, a very positive sign. I mean, not to sidetrack this thing on a, a minor point here, but I believe you referred to Adam Himmelsbach as a friend of the pod. Now, I don't know him personally. Are you now referring to yourself as the pod, Michael? Is that like a nickname you've given yourself, or how does that work? <laughs> Um, Obviously, I, I'm aware of his, his excellent work, but this is just such an ego trip from you in the middle of a crisis. It's crazy. I know. I was about to say my e- my ego's swelling. This quarantine is getting to my head. Um, you know, tap me back <laughs> down to earth if need be. But Adam is a friend of of mine. I should have said instead of that. <laughs> so, so shout out to Adam, Michael the Pod Pina. I love it. Um, Here's the deal, Michael. I think you made some really good points on Rudy Gobert. It's just something I wrote about in my Washington Post newsletter that published Monday. As immature as his five-second action was touching all the microphones, his response was basically as mature as it gets. And if you only focus on the video and you try to demonize him for the goofy behavior on Monday, you're missing the most important part of the story. And just let's quickly run through the mature things that he did. First of all, he submitted to the testing and he was aware of his symptoms, um, which not everyone does, right? I was reading reports over the weekend about a patient in South Korea who basically resisted the recommendation of a test for multiple days and wound up, you know, infecting a lot of people at a church there when they had actually done a pretty good job of containing, um, you know, that particular uh, area. Uh, before her actions, right? You know, we saw a major government official, uh, you know, delay a testing uh, despite contact with people who had tested positive, right? So it's not easy to to swallow your pride, swallow your fear, and get tested. So that was a mature response from him, right? Second, he basically shouldered all the blame of being patient zero, even though we're not completely sure he was the first NBA player to get it, right? He was just the first to test positive. So... it's possible that Donovan Mitchell gave it to him. It's possible that Christian Wood, who also tested positive Mm -hmm. from the Detroit Pistons, gave it to Rudy Gobert. It's possibly some other player entirely who, you know, hasn't been tested yet, gave it to those guys. It's possible that some team employee or some fan or whoever else could have given it to him. Rudy Gobert didn't make any excuses about any of that. He came out and apologized forthrightly. He took responsibility. He called himself out. And he tried to make it right as best you could. That's what leaders should do in crises. And I thought it was phenomenal behavior by him. And I think he was obviously getting some pretty good advice from the people around him. And they played that, to me, brilliantly. On top of that, he donates $500,000. He's making $25 million a year. So he's making a lot of money. That's still a hefty, hefty donation. No, no small write-off from him. Very impressive, and he donated it to communities that were personally impacted, whether it was where he got tested in Oklahoma, whether it was where he plays in Utah, or whether it's where he's from in France. So I thought it was a thoughtful, smart gesture. And then on top of that, he could have hit out, you know, stayed away from the limelight and just let this thing blow over like a lot of people do when the heat gets turned up. I've been trying to call a lot of health department officials at various places across the country, trying to get answers over the last few days for stories. A lot of people got their voicemail boxes full. A lot of people got their cell phone numbers turned off. A lot of people just not picking up. Um, That's not Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert Gobert filmed a public service uh, announcement for the NBA explaining in clear personal terms what you should do in response 
um, to the coronavirus to keep yourself safe and keep your family members safe. And the last time I checked, it had been viewed by more than 1.5 million people. That's no joke. That's a big time mm -hmm. influence. When we're out here trying to get the message out to the people who you're mad at, Michael, who are hanging out in those bars in New York City, just carrying on life as normal, maybe Rudy Gobert's message, a guy who's tested positive, could get through to some of those we would, uh, people. We would hope so. And so from that standpoint, I think like, look, don't judge him on the five minutes or sorry, the five seconds of immaturity. Judge him on the five days of, of maturity after the fact. And we would all be so lucky if uh, everybody acted like Rudy Gobert has here over these last few days. I think we'd be in a better spot as a society. 100% uh, echo all that. And I guess like kind of pivoting away from that a little bit, but like if there's anything to look at and wanting to be optimistic about this in terms of when will basketball come back um you know there was an article today on espn by jonathan gavoni about international play and i did not know this until i read this story but games in turkey australia brazil belarus chile russia and serbia are continuing to be played behind closed doors with no audience members so uh, those countries, uh, some of them have responded obviously really well to the coronavirus and, you know, they've tested people and temperatures are taken. The players are getting their temperatures taken every day. And even just citizens are getting temperatures taken in some countries before they step into buildings, gyms, whatever it may be, their own apartments, um, to try to contain this thing as much as possible. So, you know, uh, the governor of New York even said today, like, the sooner we shut down, the sooner we can open. So that's something to just kind of for, to try to not be as doom and gloom as we are being even in this time of extreme uncertainty. Like there are there it is possible that this that the playoffs do come back. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Um, how would you do it? Uh, I think I've I've kind of put out a little proposal of my own, you know, in terms of the single side thing and maybe scaling it down so you only have the top eight teams. I wrote about this over the weekend, but basically if you scale it down to the top four seeds from each conference, you can do the whole playoffs best of seven series in a single site in basically six weeks, right? Um, and that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's eliminating extra rest days, having teams play every other night uh, and so forth. I mean, to me, that's about as you know, uh, logistically simple as you could do it. Do you have any other ideas for how they could plan this? Would you be in favor <laughs> of them? Like, just like, let's say delaying it deeper into the summer and then maybe delaying the start of next season. Like how important to you is salvaging a playoffs? And then what is sort of like the worst possible playoffs you'd be okay with? Because if I told you it's just Lakers versus Bucks five on five and they're going to play at Rucker Park and like, you know, no fans are allowed and like we've got like hazmat suits surrounding the court, I think we can all agree that's not going to be the NBA finals, right? That's not that's not good enough. So like what's your bar here right now? Right. I, I, I think that if it's possible to have, you know, best of five series with all eight, the top eight teams in each conference at, a neutral site or maybe two different places or wherever it may be without fans that's not ideal but that's what i think is best for now and then the future i mean what 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 really comes to mind right now just as an example of why it's so important not to just cancel the rest of the season is you know i'll take a, look at the Milwaukee Bucks as just a, an example so 
So much of what players decide in free agency and so much of what teams decide going forward and the decisions that they make with their personnel is based on what happens in the postseason, right? So if you just do not have a playoffs, uh, like what happened, what, what, what does Giannis Antetokounmpo do when he is offered the Supermax? And he says, wait, I, I, I wanted to see how far we were going to go in the playoffs before I agreed to stay here. I'm not going to sign this just yet. And so you head into next season. It's like, what do the Bucks then do? Do they look to trade Giannis? I mean, just there's all these different ripple effects that are just really wild that we have not even uh, thought through, I think. and Right, because it's sort of like in college, they would say, well, maybe we could give an extra year of eligibility to the seniors that are impacted, right? It's not like we could say, hey, Giannis, we're going to give you an extra year of contract <laughs> so you can like weigh your mind. You know, like that doesn't really work, right? I mean, there's no way to do it. Yeah. So like, that's just why it's so important. And I mean, you could just say like tough to the teams that severely went all in on this season and next season. I mean, the Clippers and the Lakers and the Rockets, these teams are like all in. Like their futures are really 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 bleak in terms of you know assets and uh how like what their future could look like would be not great and so what you're doing by you know cutting an opportunity for a team's fan base to root for a championship contender i just think you're also risking losing fans and that might be a little exaggerated but like if i was a clippers fan and then you know we lose this season next year Kawhi sprains his ankle or something uh, at the start of the playoffs and we lose in the first round and then all of a sudden oh this team does not have any draft picks or trade assets or anything going forward and Kawhi and Paul George decide to leave in free agency the following year like I don't want to be who's like I'm not going to be a Clippers fan anymore <laughs> that's no point so I think it's just it, there's a lot of really difficult questions to to kind of sort through here um, there's just a lot of ripple effects and a lot of dominoes that are going to fall if no playoffs are played yeah. So you don't have a proposal. You don't have a plan for what you do want to see. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm trying to pin you down here, Michael. Like, you know, you said you have a sliver of hope somewhere in that addled brain of yours, right? I mean, is there <laughs> is there anything I could twist your arm or um, are you I mean, there's there's probably some people who are in the camp of like, basically, look, some of these t- these viruses die out during the summer. Let's say it dies down by June. You know, we all our lives all suck for three months, but we get the all clear from the government. Hey, some of these preventative measures worked. Uh, there's her- herd immunity developing or whatever else. Uh, you guys get, are, are free to play your games. Would you, you know, w- would you like the delay tactic, right? Better than the modify the postseason tactic. I'm I'm fine. I think if we start the playoffs in June and it runs through August or whatever, and then you start the following season on Christmas and, I don't know, you're, the season is truncated or shortened or however you deal with the next season, because we don't want to get into a deal where, you know, uh, just thinking back to the, the lockout shortened season of 2011, where, you know, teams are playing like three games in four nights or three games in five nights or whatever it was. And then you get to the playoffs and Derrick Rose tears his ACL. And that's potentially a direct cause of you want all your players to be in as safe a position as possible. So that's the well-being of your players is a priority here as well. Um, And there's just all these different competing factors. 
but I'm, I guess at the end of the day, I'm for playing the playoffs. Um, if we can make it happen in June and then going into August or delaying it as much as possible with the teams that are in the playoffs right now being able to compete and then the league figuring out some way to you know, ramp up competition and, and make sure everybody's in shape and make sure that everybody's on, uh, like the, the quality of the game will be good and everyone will be safe and everyone's in shape enough to play. And I don't know how you do that yet. Um, and that's kind of an afterthought with everything that's going on outside of basketball. But that that would be what I would like to see. Yeah, I hear you. I, I hear you for sure. Um, yeah, you don't want to be playing this catch up where like rollover catch up in the future years, right? Um, so I do think that at some point here in the relatively near future, Adam Silver's got to lay out multiple frameworks and then they basically have to like, you know, I would say hopefully within the next month or so, make a decision like thumbs up or thumbs down, like, is this plausible or is it not? Because I just think logistically you're holding all these players almost hostage. You know what I mean? Like they're all just kind of like sitting there, like, do we need to be working out if there's games coming or do we not? And I do think the CDC uh, recommendation was actually a blessing in disguise in that regard because it just kind of let the players go their separate ways as opposed to keeping them like sitting on edge wondering what the next move is. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. I want to shift gears here real quick, Michael, because we got an email from Morton uh, from Denmark. And he emailed openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And one thing I love about this show is we've got the global audience and they love to weigh in all the time, but especially in, in, in tough moments. And I thought he, he is going to bring a lot of important facts to the table. And he's also going to give you a slice of what life is like over there in Denmark. And I think that uh, a lot of it's going to ring true with what we're dealing with here in the United States over the last few days. He writes... Um, as of today, Saturday, the Danish government has closed the borders for all persons except Danish citizens who will be put directly in quarantine upon arrival. Since Thursday, young and healthy people were told not to contact health officials in case of symptoms due to overload of the healthcare system. We are only to contact officials in case of respiratory problems. All gyms, cinemas, bars, clubs, and most restaurants are closed, as well as all events or gatherings of over 100 people. All that are capable of it are working from home. All non-vital contact with persons over the age of 60 is strongly advised against. 
A friend of mine is a nurse, and they have been told to expect overtime. Hospitals were at or over capacity already before the virus. Nurses and doctors who were in unregulated contact with early infected people are now in quarantine. In both the healthcare system and other vital industries, like electricity, water, heat, public transport, half of leaders and experts are in pre-quarantine as we expect people going to work will be infected later. March 11th, as the virus was officially characterized as a pandemic, we experienced mass panic. The virus was more widespread here than I believe it is in the United States at that time, considering the size and density of the population. The supermarkets were stripped bare of goods and especially toilet paper. I don't know, but still I found it funny. People were overreacting as the shops were receiving goods as normal, but videos showed people all over the country buying several months worth of toilet paper food and infant formula. A lot of Danes go skiing in Italy and Austria, which is how most of the infected the co- uh, entered the country. One bartender in Austria uh, who tested positive infected 118 Danish people during the last two weeks alone. In Denmark, we have one of the strongest governments and healthcare systems in the world. We're a small country which makes decision-making simpler and our government is stable. And we just had our election this past year. I am sorry to say, but I'm gearing up for the United States as I believe you guys are one to two weeks behind us and will have similar spreading. For the United States to avoid spreading, all action must be made this week. I, I can see that happening now. We thought the Danish government was at the forefront, but they were way too late. And he goes on to say, um, you know, basically, I work at a warehouse and do not have the option of working from home. I rely on public transport, and every day I handle packages from all over Europe as well as Italy, which is the epicenter in Europe. Even though I do not have any symptoms, I believe the only responsible thing for me to do is to su- assume I carry the virus. So I keep a distance to elderly and diseased people. I wash my hands before entering public spaces and try to touch as little as possible. I believe society must go on and that me going to work is a part of that, but I take precautions for the sake of the vulnerable around me. Of course, I am worried about my parents' health, but I'm not overly worried about the situation as a whole. But do not worry about your own health. This is not as dangerous for the young and healthy. Act with respect to the vulnerable. Do not visit your parents. Ask them to isolate themselves. Um, And he points out that the mortality rate for Italians in their 80s right now is 16.6%, which is a stunning high number. And I I was looking at some pictures of Italian newspapers, Michael, with just pages and pages of obituaries adding Mm up, uh, you know, terrifying, scary stuff. So I thought that was a great piece of, uh, uh, you know, frankly, like citizen journalism uh, from our guy. Service journalism, too. Service journalism for our guy Morton in Denmark. Any takeaways from that, Michael? How are the conversations going for you with the people who, uh, you know, you care about in your family? Is everybody starting to get the message around you? I would say, uh, first of all, I just want to echo what you said about Morton. I, I, I wish everyone behaved as Morton does. Assume that you have the virus, even if you feel great. That's how you should be right now um, in the United States. If you just look at what is happening in, in Europe right now, in Spain, in Italy, in Denmark. Um, for me personally, I mean, I just feel like you and I, we're, we're online a lot. We're on Twitter, we're on social media, um, we're constantly reading about... Uh, Is this an you know, insult, ha- Michael? Where are you going with this? No, uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Calling me an uh, internet nerd? Basically, yeah. But you already knew that. Um, and we, we, we're, we're like abreast of the latest news uh, constantly, and we know everything, we know all of the, the issues going on and how serious it is, but like... 
Uh, my parents, for example, are definitely not online. I mean, I was the one who told them about Tom Hanks a day later, uh, which I thought was just like that news had already spread to everyone in the universe and everyone was already aware of it and they hadn't. And so when I talked to them about, hey, you got to stay home, uh, you shouldn't go out, you shouldn't, I mean, over the weekend, you know, they were talking to me about how they were thinking about going to a dinner party. It's like, absolutely not. Like, and so they look at me like I'm crazy and I'm overreacting and they've been on this earth twice as long as I have and they know better. And, and that's just, uh, it's difficult to have those conversations, but you have to be as forceful as you possibly can. And no human being can make another do uh, what they want them to do. But you just have to give evidence. You have to uh, beg, really, <laughs> with the ones you love who aren't thinking, uh, who aren't thinking um, about uh, who aren't thinking that this is as serious as it really is and, and really no, pleading it, the it, case that, you know, real quick, pleading the case that even if you are not worried about yourself, you should be worried about other people because the spreading of it is really one of the bigger bigger issues at hand. Great points. The only thing I'd add, too, for your strategies in terms of communicating with your parents is personalize it. You know, let them know what you're doing, not that you're telling them to do stuff, right? That that worked for me. You know, once mm -hmm. I started changing my tone to say, look, I'm staying inside. I want you to stay inside, right? Or I'm cutting back all trips to the grocery store from once a week to once a month. Or I'm ordering my groceries online instead of going in person, right? Or the only exercise I'm doing is a walk around the block by myself with no one else within six feet, right? When you're, when you're making those kinds of statements, you know, first of all, you're modeling the proper behavior, but you're also saying, look, you're taking it seriously as well. You're, it's not like you're trying to impose some rules on them. And I do think that hopefully a lot of society made some progress on how serious this is over the last four or five days. Of course, there's a group out there that you described that just still has not gotten it. And unfortunately, we are all kind of subjected to the weakest link here, uh, you know, if, if that kind of behavior continues. But, you know, certainly we all need to do our own part. Hey, we got an interesting email um, from JC in France. And I think that, uh, you know, he put this well. You know, you were trying to struggle to find some hope and optimism earlier, Michael. And let's be honest. I mean, aside from giving yourself a new nickname, The Pod, I mean, we could hear it in your voice. But <laughs> you know, it, it's been a, a tough day for you. And so keep, keep your head up. But I think JC's got some good perspective. He writes, It's so sad to watch the coronavirus spread around the world and impact the professional sports world. Indeed, people, health, and safety should be the number one priority on a global level. Kudos to the NBA for reacting uh, quite on time, in his opinion. And JC continues, However, just like all other major events that could be viewed as negative, let's try to view this as an opportunity. You know, the classic mantra, I never lose, either I win or I learn. There's a lot we could learn here. And then JC asks us if, you know, we're interested in, you know, potentially going back through, uh, you know, the history of the NBA, talking about uh, past seasons, maybe doing episodes about some all-time greats and and things of that nature. Um, I love JC's mentality here and also his brainstorming session. So what I want to do is encourage everybody who's listening, email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. If you have outside of the box ideas of what you want us to discuss here on the show, um, whether it's history related, whether it's our favorite games, you know, favorite basketball movies, favorite podcasts, we've already gotten some emails like that, but I want to turn this into a crowdsourcing uh, brainstorming session, and I appreciate that. And one other point I want to make here real quickly, Michael, is that this is absolutely an opportunity, right? Uh, for me, 
this idea of New Year's resolutions always falls a little bit flat because it always happens right in the middle of the NBA season when I'm already locked into an hour by hour routine, sometimes a 15 minute by 15 minute routine, right? Where like my days are accounted for. So making big structural changes to my life is difficult. But ultimately, this is a big time pause button on my entire life. And to be honest, I'm still in denial about all this. It has not sunk into me, Michael, that uh, we don't have basketball tonight. And I will be surprised when four o'clock my time rolls around and there's no games on. Just like I was surprised last night when four o'clock rolled around and there were no <laughs> games on. Just like I was surprised the night before at four o'clock when I tried to tune in and there were no games on. And I'll be honest, I'm a little bit worried about when that's going to hit, right? Because so much of my own... Um, you know, time, energy, mental brain power, and personal happiness is tied up in this sport. But JC is right. This is an awesome opportunity to uh, prioritize potentially other things in your life and to take steps uh, forward to being the kind of person you want to be. So for me, that's that's meant a couple things, Michael. And I don't know if you've already gone down this path, but uh, you know, I I have. Uh, changed my diet up a little bit. I got some recommendations recently, you know, do more protein, do less carbs. And, you know, it's easy to eat a lot of carbs when you're uh, pulling long nights and, and there's pizza at the arena and everything mm -hmm. else. So that's one thing that I've changed. Uh, I'm sleeping more. You know, I'm trying to make sure that I get seven hours of sleep every single night, no matter what. I look at it like I have no excuses. If I'm not up until 1 a.m. writing, why am I not getting seven hours of sleep, right? That's just a kind of an obvious one. And then another one is I'm extending my exercise, right? So normally I was walking five to six miles a day. I'm going longer now. There's some extra time. Whatever time I would have been spending, uh, you know, sitting down in front of a, a television watching game or commuting to Staples Center, you know, sometimes five, six, eight hours a week back and forth getting to games. To me, that is now time I can spend uh, productively. And then I'm also exploring, uh, you know, uh, these things called books, and I'm not sure uh, if most people know what those are. I know for a fact you know about books because you're always Instagramming about your book reading, Michael, which is one of the coolest things about you. Uh, but books are actually sort of like blog posts, but longer, more thought out, uh, <laughs> and and a lot of times just passion projects. And you can learn a ton for them. So I'm digging back into some of the reading habits as well. So you know those are things that I'll fully acknowledge as soon as we have basketball back. Some of those things are going to slip back to how they were, right? But JC's point about an opportunity is dead on here. And if you guys are making any changes to your lives during this time period in terms of reprioritizing, I would love to hear about it. Michael, what is your self-care plan? What is your health and wellness outlook, outlook look like here over the last few days? Have you started to think about these things too, these strategies? You know, what's really interesting is, so I went on a trip to Japan over the summer with my wife. And because of the time difference, I had a lot of sleep issues. You know, it's like, 13 hours ahead or 12 hours behind or whatever it is. And so I had serious jet lag issues and I would wake up at uh, like four in the morning for weeks after we returned and it completely changed my life. And so you want to talk about like going to bed earlier and waking up earlier, going to the gym uh, at, you know, 530 in the morning, which is something if you told me I was doing that you know, five years ago, I would have said you were absolutely oh out of your mind. Michael, um, you got Michael, you got old before our eyes. That's what happened. I know. Yep. I know. That's exactly what happened. So, uh, you know, that lifestyle change has been like totally incredible. And instead of waking up, uh, you know, at whatever time my body 
uh, basically I've been I've been forcing myself to wake up and it's been very easy actually because once you are, or once your body kind of settles in and has a routine it's not that big of a deal I mean you get you get tired at nine o'clock at night and you're like I like, I couldn't stay up late later if I wanted to so you know I DVR the West Coast games I watch them the following morning over a cup of coffee at like six thirty or seven o'clock and then. By ten o'clock, I'm I've like done a whole work day basically, and uh, it's opened up time for me to read. As as you said, you know I love reading, um, and I think that uh, a lot of the habits that you're picking up right now, Ben, you will you will m- maintain. It may not seem it when the NBA season comes back around, but I think you will sustain them, and they will be a part of your life going forward. Which is kind of a, I don't want to say it's a cool part of coronavirus, because nothing is cool about this, but it is something, it is a, is a byproduct of what we're all going through right now. So it is good to kind of build those habits now, and I think that they'll be beneficial to you in the long term. Michael, I don't know whether to call you the pod or the Pope right now because you are blessing me with this like, you know, <laughs> I, I just feel like your hand is on my head telling me that I'm going to be a better person and that everything is going to work out great. And I appreciate it so much. Apologies for the blasphemy, but boy, this is a great feeling. Hey, look, Michael, I think they, you know, I don't know about you. We, we dug in here pretty deeply. We got some other nice emails from some uh, medical professionals here in the country who are talking about how hard it is, um, you know, especially in, in hard hit situ, uh, you know, uh, cities a- a- around the country, um, and how they're using open floor to kind of decompress, and how they've listened in the past. We appreciate all those messages. We wish you the absolute best. Please stay safe. You guys know that you've got a, an open floor community behind you um, as you're going to work day to day. I know it's tough. I know it's stressful. We're all feeling it, but not in such an acute way. If you're on the front lines, and and we just really appreciate your work. But Michael, I think maybe we should get into a little more uh, lighter fare. What do you say? Because we had some backlogged emails from the Open Floor Globe from a couple of weeks ago, and I know everything feels different now, and I know it's hard to kind of shift gears and, and compartmentalize and, and get back into some of the same old goofy debates. But I do feel like, um, you know, we ha- we left some things hanging uh, from before the coronavirus. You know what I mean? I cannot wait to dig into these. Okay. Well, let's start with Brandon. Now, do you remember the whole debate, Michael, about how many people around the world actually know who LeBron James is? And we had the the guy from (laughs) Australia who was claiming that basically no one in Australia or Europe had ever heard of LeBron James. And he went around from party to party conducting his own version of like, uh, you know, electoral polling. And basically everyone said, we have no idea who LeBron is. Um, We got a lot of pushback on that. Okay, And Brendan writes in. The emailer who said six out of 10 people in Australia would not know LeBron is wrong. I live in Melbourne and everybody I know or engage with at least knows the name LeBron. My wife's stepfather knows nothing about basketball, but he came over when I was watching a game and he asked, is this LeBron's team? To back this up, I also work in the remote outback in an underground gold mine for two weeks at a time. This is not basketball country at all. It's the stereotypical outback full of colorful characters. There's about three people out of 50 that work at my mine that follow basketball. But the majority of people at least know who LeBron is. I'm not sure who that emailer was, but perhaps he's only speaking to people at a retirement home. Ether from Brendan defending my honor about LeBron's fame and fortune because people were coming at me Michael saying that I was too myopic knowing thinking that LeBron was so famous let me ask you two questions first of all have you ever been to a remote outback gold mine and have you ever worked there for two weeks at a time like our guy Brendan uh, and that, if not what uh, what do you make of his comments 
I mean, this was my number one takeaway from this question, other than I'm glad that people know who LeBron is, is what is going on with the underground gold mine and what is it like how are you there for two weeks at a time are you are you literally underground for two weeks at a time how do you eat what is i just want i have so many questions i want all the details so brendan please follow up with us uh, besides that um yeah i just if don't think that this is well, that surprising Michael. It really does feel like a John Wick 3, like, set, right? Like, aren't we just picturing, like, Keanu Reeves, like, going through this gold mine, like, smashing these workers with gold bars over their head as he just, like, <laughs> you know, like, achieves, like, 5.2 homicides per minute or whatever the rate is on that movie? Anyway, continue. No, I, I, I just, what even, what does the gold mine look like? Like, you say it's the stereotypical <laughs> outback full of colorful characters. Like, I don't, I can't even picture that. I want to watch a documentary about it now. Like, I want to interview Brendan about what is going on in his life. I, I just, I'm so fascinated by this, but I'm, See, I'm also very I'm happy. <laughs> this is what I'm saying, Michael. When we talk about the open floor globe, we reach all corners. Sometimes we even go underground. I've been watching Narcos Mexico, and this is a, a little different, but there's the scenes with El Chapo building the tunnels underneath the border. Um, maybe we need to ask Brendan, is there any similarities there between those experiences? Because that's actually something that I could more directly relate to after watching such an important uh, work of <laughs> art as Narcos Mexico. But anyway, continue. Um, yeah, it's wonderful that these people living underground, um, searching for gold, uh, I guess that's what they're doing. They they know who LeBron is. So that just speaks to LeBron's reach on the globe. And it makes us feel, as people who cover the league, a little more significant, I think, is, for is my sure. takeaway. For sure. Look, they know who LeBron is in England. They know who he is underground in Australia. They know who LeBron is on the moon. I was right the whole time. Um, <laughs> maybe. Okay, Here, here's a more serious subject. Okay, Michael, this comes in from Jonathan. I've been wanting to read this one for a while. He writes... After all the madness with the Astros cheating scandal, it has become even more clear that people are obsessed with cheating. As someone who recently got cheated on, I feel I need to start reaping the rewards of cheating. So Jonathan's out for revenge, okay? He says, it makes me sick that the boring game of baseball is back. It makes me even sicker to think that the night I got cheated on was the night I decided to stay home and watch Aaron Gordon get cheated out of his second slam dunk contest. I'm writing this email with tears in my eyes, but determination in my heart. As a longtime Orlando Magic fan, is there anything I can do to make cheating work in my favor? I just want a cheating scandal that I can enjoy. I am broken, dumbfounded, and betrayed. Michael, I'm going to allow you to, to get your thoughts together for a second. I just want to say this. Jonathan, if you have enough heart to be a long-time Orlando Magic fan and your significant other was not willing to watch Aaron Gordon in the dunk contest with you, you dodged a bullet. You did not get cheated on. Your life just got significantly better, okay? This was never going to work. If that's how diehard you were, if you were going to prioritize rightly watching the Aaron Gordon slam dunk contest and she was stepping out, bro, you're good. Don't even sweat it for a second. Don't cry, dry your eye, rebound. You're going to be so much better off in 2020. Now, granted, you're going to have some time to use these dating apps over the next few months, all right? So get your reps in. Let's not go out to social situations. Let's not rush back into the pool here. Let's remember social distancing. Uh, but 
you're better off. And that that is from me to you. I promise you, I've never met her. I've never met you, but I could tell you just from this email alone, your life is already on the upswing, even if you haven't realized it yet. Michael, how can Jonathan make cheating work for him? Uh, yes, shout out to you, Jonathan, from me, Michael the Podpina. Um, all the respect <laughs> in the world. Uh, I I second everything that Ben just said. Uh, when when uh, when wait ben, all of it because I laid it on a little thick, Michael. You really no, no, second was, all of it. <laughs> I I do I do I second all of it. Uh, when you first sent me this email, though, Ben, I got to say like. I wrote in the outline, my note was, I have no idea how to answer this question, is what, is what I wrote. But since, actually, I have, I have a way that I'm going to tie this into what is happening right now. Um, Love just, it. Do I'm, it. I'm just kind of thinking on my feet here. Um, so the NBA is not drug testing players right now, which is a very interesting decision and an agreement that came to with between the league and the Players Association. So players right now are technically, I guess, uh, not allowed to take drugs um, and performance-enhancing drugs and marijuana or anything like that. But if they did, I don't think the NBA would be able to stop them. So under that kind of curtain, I guess the best cheating scandal possible would be if the league were to come back in June and the entire time, uh, you know, knowing that the Orlando Magic are going to get an opportunity to play in the playoffs, the whole time the Orlando Magic were pumping Aaron Gordon, pumping Jonathan Isaac, who could be healthy by then, (laughs) pumping Mo Bamba, who they I know for a fact they badly want him to gain some weight and be a force, a physical force, instead of popping for threes when he sets screens. You pump those guys full of as much performance-enhancing drugs as possible. Um, I hope I don't get fired for this response, but that would be the greatest cheating scandal for an Orlando Magic fan I can think of. What an answer. Okay, so Michael, (laughs) we were doing really, really well as like a public service, public health podcast until that moment. Um, (laughs) Now, I think we've been disbarred, like they've or whatever the medical version is, they've taken away our medical licenses, um, which we obviously just printed out on Microsoft Word before the show. Um, Here's the deal, Jonathan, you're falling into a mental trap. You don't actually want to get revenge here. And Michael laid out what revenge could look like. Would you be proud of that title ring if Aaron Gordon all of a sudden was, you know, the Hulk. Six, nine, six nine and 450 pounds and he's jumping from the three-point line for dunking? You might have some questions about how that worked and you might have some questions about, you know, how much pride and happiness you'd have from that title. What you need to do is let it go. That's the most important thing that you can do. Move on. Do not seek revenge in your life. Do not try to make cheating work for you because cheating will not work for you. It's a uh, it's a dead end, man. And, and you're seeing one side of it, but I promise you, uh, your former partner, uh, also, you know, a walking, ticking time bomb here with the strategy of life. And you can be better. It sounds like you are better. And, you know, stick to your principles and your guns. Don't allow other people to pull you down to their level. All right, Michael, lighter note. <laughs> we have a, a real rant here from my guy, Yago in the Bay Area. And, uh, you know, not too long ago, you had some doubts and skepticism about Steph Curry in terms of him turning 32 this week, 
How much high-level basketball did he have left? Was he going to be able to turn the Golden State Warriors into contenders next season? Were they even going to be a playoff team? I believe you had the Phoenix Suns uh, ranked over them potentially in your power rankings, which outraged a lot of people in the Bay Area. (laughs) And, you know, part of the fun with this show, Michael, is that when people really disagree, they'll come at you hard. And my guy, Yago, does not pull any punches whatsoever. So I'm just going to read his email uh, in full because why not? We got you know, a little time to burn here. And uh, then I'm going to open the floor to you for any response you would like to have, okay? That sounds fair enough. He starts off, and this is as the address, right? So it's not like, dear Michael. He starts off, for Christ's sakes, comma. <laughs> the dismissal and disrespect Michael just did of Steph Curry is unbelievable. In four months, this guy is already writing him off and doesn't think he can be the best player on a contending team, let alone a playoff team. That's when I almost got in an accident on the highway. Now, all the bloated praise Michael has been giving to diet superstars like Trey Young or Devin Booker makes sense now. And so does his endorsement and support of James Harden and the Rockets. Wasn't Chris Paul one of this guy's favorite players also? It's all adding up, man. Michael, you've been sensible and even keeled ever since you showed up on the pod, but this one ground my gears literally. Yes, the supporting cast for the Dubs doesn't look very good right now, but it's been the same old story ever since KD got here. They've had a weak, questionable bench. No, they're not going to be a shoe-in finals team again. Most likely, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt of a playoff team. Uh, and even possibly an upper-tier playoff team. There are many moves yet to come, but if they win the health odds just like any other team needs, you have to give that trio of Steph, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green more respect. Yes, Steph has an injury history, but look at the NBA these days. Everybody besides LeBron, maybe, gets hurt and has major injuries. You can't pencil anyone in for sure, let alone the Mavericks, given Luka's ankle sprains and Chris Stapp's Bambi legs. Nice little shot there from uh, Yaga. The freak accident that happened to Steph, where he broke his hand, can happen to anyone. Every year, stars and teams are going to suffer injuries, so that's not a reason in and of itself to disqualify the Warriors. It did take them out this year, and and probability has it that it won't happen two years in a row. We'll see what happens, but give Steph way more respect. Last night's game against the Raptors should hopefully have started reminding you of his transcendent talent that actually impacts winning. Sheesh. So Yago went all the way in on you, Michael, and I do think Steph played, what, one game, and then immediately got the flu and hasn't been back because the season's been over. So that game against Toronto was promising. I'm with Yago on that. I thought that Steph looked pretty darn good for, for the long layoff, but it wasn't necessarily the largest sample size. I don't believe you were predicting that Steph would be diagnosed with the flu uh, when you were tearing apart his entire reputation, Michael, but uh, do you have any response here to Yago and his outrage? I mean, first first of all, I'm not going to lean so hard into, I, I don't even recall being this disrespectful to Steph, to be honest. And I do like how Yago covers all of the criticisms and he, he cites them in his email, but doesn't really uh, have an answer. And, you know, saying it's been the same old story ever since Katie got here that they've had a weak or questionable bench. Like I last I checked, Kevin Durant is no longer on the team and he's one of the 15 best players of all time. So that seems like a legitimate loss and a reason for concern. Um, I think contextually when I made the statements that I did about Steph, 
I also said that if he was returning in December or January, then what was happening could have been a little bit more exciting. And that my greater point was that there are 30 teams in the league and that we just spent five years obsessing over one of them and that it was okay not to live and die about how good Curry would be over the next few weeks when his team will look so much different next year anyway. Um, so I just I don't really understand the outrage here, but I respect and admire someone who is willing to write an email that long. I also don't really remember being Chris Paul's number one fan, but I, I will take credit for that. And I, I say I do like Chris Paul. Yes. Sue me. All right. Uh, it was a very professional response from you. Now it's just you and me here. <laughs> We're going to turn the microphones off. Say what you really want to say, Michael. Come on, take some shots back. I mean, you're a Steph Curry doubter here. I mean, you don't think he's going to win another MVP. You got burned because you picked him as MVP this year. You don't think he's going to win another title. You don't trust Andrew Wiggins. Like, this is a safe space. Come on, let, let it out. Well, yeah, all of that stuff is fair. And as you <laughs> said, I I picked Steph Curry to win MVP. I'm not a, a Steph Curry uh, hater. Um I will tell a real quick Steph Curry story um, while I'm here. Uh, I guess it was two years ago, or I guess maybe it was last season. Last season or two years ago, I cannot remember off the top of my head. But I wrote an article, uh, and the headline was why Steph Curry is declining. And it was probably the most incendiary article that I've ever written. And the whole piece was very positive about Steph. If you can go back and read it, um, maybe we'll put it in the show notes or something like that. Uh, very positive piece. I was a victim of the headline, I feel like, that to this day. And uh, a national writer was sitting next to Steph a couple days after... Uh, the article was published and Steph was actually reading the article on his phone and he could not believe that someone thought he was declining. And so he's had a basically a personal thing against me this whole time. So that is why wow. I'm rushing out. So I just want to throw that out there. The truth comes out. Are you Steph Curry's <laughs> only enemy? Like I no. feel like this is like the nicest guy in the world. Me? Yeah, I know. I am the nicest guy in the world. I don't understand oh. what the problem is. Unbelievable. We have to get some sort of a summit going. Like, we need to call, like, Iceland, you know? Like, Reykjavik, one of those countries, or cities, <laughs> be like, look, we need to have a summit between Steph Curry and Michael Pina. Sit these guys down. All right, last question here. Uh, and it's coming in from Travers, okay? And you remember we were talking about different statues. What would be the best statues? Who had the highest statue ability? And here were Travers' recommendations. I want you to tell me if you like these, Michael, or if any others popped to your mind here over the last couple of weeks. We need a Sean Kemp dunk uh, compilation statue where his back leg is kicking up. Then he says, number two, we need a uh it's more of a bust rather than a full statue but you need to get russell westbrook's stink face you know that angry face he gives to reporters when he doesn't like questions and then his number one statue would be the iconic washington bullets promo shot with minute bull and mugsy bugs where there's you know the multiple basketballs that, that are kind of stacked up between the two of them that sort of reinforce the height difference between seven seven minute bull and five foot three mugsy bugs what do you think, Michael? Are those statues worthy of our uh, our Hall of Legends? 
Uh, do we maybe have like an oddities room where we throw a few of these in here from Travers? Um, what do you think? I, I like all these. I don't know. Can we talk about like where these would go? Like you're building these statues. I guess you just answered my question by saying we're going to have a special room for kind of the, the, I guess like the freak show part of the hall and the hall of legends. Um, I think while we're here, we should put up, we should have, there should be multiple statues of certain players. And I think LeBron should have a statue of him pointing at the correct basket at J.R. Smith. I think that that should be immortalized for for all time while we're here and we're coming up with these ideas. What do you think <laughs> about that one? Uh, not bad at all. I'm actually picturing like, okay, let's have the real hall of legends and i'm just going to compare this to san antonio so like san antonio they've got the alamo right and that's what everybody wants to go and see there is a real debate about how cool it is i personally think it's pretty cool i've heard some people say it's not really that cool um certainly the river walk is oversold like that water is not a true river in my opinion it doesn't look <laughs> like clean i mean the bridges are kind of cool the walking bridges but like if you're really going there for the river walk, you're making a mistake. But you know, no disrespect, no shots to San Antonio. They should know that's facts. But across the street from the Alamo, pretty nearby, they have like a Ripley's, believe it or not. And so I'm kind of picturing that for our Hall of Legends, right? Like you have the main Hall of Legends where you're going to pay homage to the gigantic gold, platinum, crystal Michael Jordan statue. And then maybe like around the corner for like a $4.99 cover charge, you can get the Russell Westbrook stink face statue um, and the LeBron J.R. Smith pointing statue. What do you think? Uh, that is perfect. I love everything about that. Um, just a, well, you know what they say. Just if you're trying to build a tourist destination, just do what San Antonio does. That's what they always say, Michael. <laughs> isn't that where you became a vegetarian? It is, and we should not have a Texas Day Brazil steakhouse um, anywhere on the premises of the Hall of Legends, Michael, because of their incredible deals and the all-you-can-eat meat buffets. I essentially overdosed my body on meat with like two months straight worth of per diems, um, you know, putting on astronomical amounts of weight and contributing to the, you know, the death of numerous animals. That's where I kind of had to find religion, Michael, um, San Antonio. So we're not going to have a food court at the Hall of Legends, all right? That's out. Um, and if we do, it's going to be like celery sticks and maybe Greek yogurt. That's it. That sounds disgusting, but uh, <laughs> and I don't think anyone will attend. Um, ben, before we, uh, assuming that we're about to wrap up, can I actually make a, a quick PSA? Please do. I want this all your this is off. This is off script. You do not even know okay. what's coming. Oh, I'm um, ready for it. But I think you'll appreciate it. Um with no basketball and no sports on television right now, I, I want everyone listening to this to, to I guess, you know, write into your local congressman or your local government leader or just simply tweet at ESPN to please release the Last Dance 10-part Michael Jordan documentary. The people need it. We're all going crazy. We love everything about that. It is it is uh, it it is it's necessary right now in these troubled times, and so if everyone bands together and uh, and, and figures out a way to put the pressure on ESPN to release that, I would really personally appreciate it, and I know that Ben would too. Oh my God! I mean, we could probably do live viewings of each episode uh, as podcasts. Like this is the content that we all need. 
Um, I would be watching those things like the conspiracy theorists watch the Zabruder film, <laughs> just like rewinding every scene, looking for little details back in the corner. Um, yeah, I need that so badly. It's like not even funny. Um, I would also recommend like there, there is a lot of Jordan literature out there that, you know, maybe a lot of our younger listeners haven't gotten to. So don't necessarily just rely on this documentary as we wait for it. Get yourself up to speed with like the Jordan rules by Sam Smith playing for keeps, uh, David Halberstam. And there's a third one called Michael Jordan, the life by Roland Lazenby. And he goes back to like Michael Jordan's hometown. And some of the scenes in that book is actually what inspired me, Michael, to go to Wilmington uh, during all-star weekend uh, a couple years ago um, from Charlotte. And just to check out the major scenes, like the, the playground that he grew up on, uh, you know, his high school, Laney high school, and some of the other, uh, you know, local, uh, you know, tributes and, and museums that kind of, uh, you know, honor him. So that book to me has had a big impact on my life and it's got all the details you could possibly want about his ancestors, where they grew up, what their jobs were in North Carolina and everything else. So um, I'd recommend that one as well. But uh, yeah, so, yeah, definitely email your congressman. Great idea, Michael. <laughs> let's let's, uh, <laughs> let's start a public campaign to get ourselves uh, the ESPN Michael Jordan documentary. I'm sure that we could tip the tides with the full strength of the open floor globe. Guys, we've reached the end of another episode, but thank you so much for listening. Email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. We are on Apple Podcasts, and you can find our page by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you get there, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael the Pod Vina is on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V. Pina, that's P-I-N-A. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, on Twitter at Ben.Golliver. And don't forget, sign up for my Washington Post newsletter. If you would, I would greatly appreciate it. Hey, Michael, until later this week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben.